You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. Verse 4. Then they said, What is the trespass offering which we shall return to him? They answered, Five golden tumors and five golden rats, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. You see, God is not a respecter of persons, He's impartial. You know, everybody dies the rich and the poor, the male and the female. It doesn't matter what racial background you, are, you have. Everybody dies. And the Lord is impartial in this way. And um, he acts impartially. Jesus was impartial. When we see Jesus and how he ministered and what he said, he didn't pull punches with the people no matter what status they were. And he also didn't hold back his love no matter what status. We had Nicodemus, right? A very wealthy member of the Sanhedrin, a religious ruler. Jesus takes the time to minister to him. And then we have the woman who had the issue of blood and had spent all her money on trying to fix it. She was an impoverished widow who just came and touched the hem of his garment and she was healed. And he showed her love and care. It didn't matter whether they were a Samaritan or whether they were Jewish. Jesus was there to minister to all. In fact, it says in Matthew twenty-two sixteen, we've got this scripture for you, uh, that they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true. You're true. And teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone. For you do not regard the person of men. They're not saying you don't care, like, oh, who cares about you? But you're not, he's not influenced by anyone. He's there to please God. He hears the Father and he speaks what the Father says. And it doesn't matter what people think. And that's how Jesus was on the earth. And even his enemies recognized that. And that's how Jesus would have us to be with each other, with those that we interact in in the world. We're to speak the truth in love. We're not to be people who flatter because, oh, that, that's, those are the popular people at work, at school, wherever. And so we want to, you know, we want to flatter them and have their favor. But those people, well, they're not as popular. And so, you know, we'll just say whatever we want to them. But God says, no, we're to be impartial impartial. In fact, in James chapter 2, it speaks of, hey, if a poor person in regs comes walking into your sanctuary, let them sit where they want to sit. You don't say, hey, you stand over there in the back, or you sit here at my footstool because you're poor and in regs. But we're to be open and let anybody in is not as long as they're not disruptive, right, <laughs> uh, to what's happening. Now, verse 5, as we continue on in First uh, Samuel chapter 6, it says, Therefore you shall make images of your tumors and images of your rats that ravage the land, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you. 
from your gods and from your land. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts when he did mighty things among them? Did they not let the people go that they might depart? Verse 7, now therefore make a new cart, take two milk cows which have never been yoked, and hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home away from them. And so these Philistines are remembering their history books, their lessons as kids that, wow, when the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, God said, let my people go. Pharaoh hardened his heart. The Egyptians hardened their hearts, would not let the people go. God sent plagues, and they hardened their hearts until finally, in the end of it all, their whole army was destroyed in the Red Sea. Their land had been completely ravished, all their crops and everything. Their economy devastated, and it was a horrible situation because they hardened their hearts against the Lord. And so these guys are remembering back in their history books and going, Let's not be like them. Let's not harden our hearts. And so the priests then give them a prescription of how they can get, you know, the ark back to the children of Israel by taking these two milk cows which have never been yoked, so they're untrained. They don't know how to use a yoke. They don't know how to work together as a team to actually go somewhere and have purpose. And they are, uh, remember they have calves, they're to be separated from their calves, so naturally these mothers are going to want to go to their children. So it would be a miracle if these cows on their own took the cart with the Ark of the Covenant and went up the road to the town Beth Shemesh. I think it was like 25 miles up a road. It would be a miracle for them to do that. But this is kind of a fleece that they're putting before the Lord, like, hey, if this is God, then the milk cows will go. Their God can handle that. If not, it was coincidence. They're still stuck on this coincidence thing. You ever have friends you talk to and it's all a coincidence? You know, you talk about the miracles that happen in their life, in your life and stuff like that, and it's like, oh, that was a coincidence. Boy, the other day, guys, and you guys, and I encourage you, you can do this too. God's so gracious. But um, I was going for a jog, and I was jogging by an old friend's house. And, uh, you know, th- that friend's been on my heart lately. I've been praying for him. And I was thinking, well, should I stop my jog and go knock on the door? I haven't seen him in, in a long, long time and things like that. I didn't want to, you know, just interrupt and disrupt. And so you know, as I'm approaching the house in my jog, I said, Lord, I just pray that if you want us to chat, that you'll just bring him out right now. And I kid you not, as I finished, whoo, there he is coming out to his car. And I said, hey, brother. He's like, oh, my gosh. And, and we talked and had a good conversation and prayed, and it was a good thing. But, you know, coincidence, right? Coincidence. No, no. And how do I know it wasn't coincidence? Well, number one, because this kind of thing, I got this relationship with God, <laughs> you know. And I know, you know, coincidence, you're kind of like, yeah that, yeah, that could have been coincidence. But other times you're like, that was God. That was God because that was his heart. It was his will. It was fruitful as you look back on on it and go, yeah, that was God, you know, not coincidence. And so here these guys keep coming back to, well, maybe it's a coincidence. Maybe it's a coincidence. Let's do this. Let's do that. And finally, it's like, well, if the cart goes back, we know it's God. And so let's see what happens next. Verse 8, 
then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart and put the articles of gold, which uh, you are returning to him as a trespass offering, in a chest by its side. Then send it away and let it go and watch. If it goes up the road to its own territory to Bethshemesh, which is halfway between Ashdod um, on the coast and Jerusalem in the mountains, then he has done us this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance, by chance. And so again, it would take a miracle for this to happen. Verse 10, then the men did so. They took two milk cows and hitched them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. And they set the ark of the Lord on the cart and the chest with the gold rats and the images of their tumors. <laughs> Verse 12, then the cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh, miracle, and went along the highway lowing as they went lowing for their calves. I don't really want to do this, but there's a king of the universe who's saying to do it, so I'm going to do it. Boy, these cattle know who's boss. Sometimes we're worse than cows, friends, <laughs> trying to take the cart our own way instead of doing what God is saying to do. So they're listening to God. They did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left as God miraculously guides them. And the lords of the Philistines went after them to the border of Beth Shemesh. They watched, probably in astonishment, wow, this is really happening. This really was the God of Israel as God shows himself to the Gentiles. You know, the New Testament says that God in time past overlooked the, the idolatry of the Gentiles. But now, in, in these times, God is calling for all men everywhere, Jew and Gentile alike, to come to repentance, to be saved, to be saved. And so, you know, praise God. God will always make his way back to his covenant people. You see, he entered into a relationship with them. Remember at Mount Sinai, well, starting back with Abraham, he made that, Abraham covenant, that Abrahamic covenant with Abraham where it was simply based on the unconditional love of God saying, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through your seed. I'm going to make your name great. This land that you tread upon, I'm giving you. It's yours. And Abraham believed God in faith. And so the Bible says he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness as he put his trust in God's word. So that's the Abrahamic covenant. God will never, ever violate that covenant. He belongs to Israel and Israel belongs to him. They are indeed his chosen people. As the Bible has foretold, they are once again a nation in the land. Now remember that the Bible also teaches us that blindness in part has come to them because of their rejection of God and their rejection of the Messiah. And so God has focused his attention on the Gentile church. And that's most of us here, if not all of us. But there will come a 
last seven-year period where God refocuses his attention on the nation of Israel and his chosen people because of a promise he made to a man long ago named Abraham. They're also in a covenant with God in another way called the Mosaic Covenant. This was the covenant they entered with God at Mount Sinai, right? There was the thundering and the lightning and the darkness and the quaking, and God spoke forth the Ten Commandments audibly to them, and they were terrified. And and they said, after God spoke, they said, Moses, tell God not to speak to us anymore, (laughs) but you talk to him. It's too scary for us. But they entered into a covenant relationship with him based on the law. We talked about that last week. If they obey the law, they're blessed. If they disobey the law, then they are cursed. And so, verse 13, verse 13, it says, Now the people of Beth Shemesh, oh, I'm sorry, that's what I was going to say about that. As I paused, I was like, I was going to say something, I can't remember it. Um, God is making his way back. You see what God has done here? Without any of the people helping to bring the Ark of the Covenant back, they didn't raise an army and say, let's go bring back our Ark. (laughs) You know, none of that. God made it all happen. God did it. God is pursuing Israel. God is saying, I'm coming back to you. And the Ark is not going to be taken from you at this time. But I'm coming back. And so he does. And so that brings us to verse 13. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley and they lifted their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. Then the cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stood there. Once those cows got to where they were supposed to be, God said, okay, now stay. Don't go anymore. A large stone was there, so they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. Verse 15, the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the chest that was with it, in which were the articles of gold, and put them on the large stone. Then the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices the same day to the Lord. They made peace offerings to God. They had recognized that this was the hand of God against them that took the ark away And now the ark was being brought back, and they were thankful in offering their offerings. Verse 16, so when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. These are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned as a trespass offering to the Lord, one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron. These are all Philistine cities. And the golden rats, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belong to the five lords, both fortified cities and country villages, even as far as the large stone of Abel, on which they set the ark of the Lord, which stone remains to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. Verse 19, then he struck the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men of the people and the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter, a great slaughter. Now, let's talk about this for a second. They had the ark of the covenant. 
there were very specific rules in the law of the treatment of this Ark of the Covenant. We knew it was to be kept in the Holy of Holies, and only one time uh, on the Day of Atonement per year would the high priest go in after sacrificing for himself and for the sins of the people, and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And last week we talked about how the Bible teaches that that mercy seat is emblematic of Jesus Christ, who is the covering over the law. And we do not bypass Jesus Christ and look into the law, because if you, if you seek to live by the law, you'll be judged by the law, and the law will kill you the law will kill me. The law kills because we can't keep it. So we need God's mercy. We need the lid on the law. We need Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. And, and so they got curious. And we know what curiosity does to the poor cat. And so they put this Ark of the Covenant on top of this rock, interestingly called the Stone of Abel. You remember Abel? In Genesis 4.10, Abel, right, offered a sacrifice to God, and so did his brother Cain. God accepted Abel's sacrifice because it was done in faith, and it was a foreshadowing of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who would die for the sins of the world. But he rejected Cain's, and Cain got jealous and upset about that, and God said, hey, why are you jealous? Why are you upset? If you do well, you'll be accepted too. Hang in there, buddy keep, you know, let's just work on our relationship and you're going to be all right. But he wouldn't accept that. He got mad. He killed his brother Abel out of jealousy and hatred. And God said to Cain in Genesis 4.10, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And so the voice of Abel's blood is the voice of accusation. It's, it's crying out for vengeance. I want vengeance. And, and that's the law, friends. The law cries out for justice and for vengeance for sin, wrongs against God and against other people, which are ultimately wrongs against God. And so they put this uh, ark on the stone of Abel, and they gathered together a very large crowd of them, and they opened up the lid to look inside. They bypassed the mercy, the mercy and looked into the law and disobeyed the law in doing so. And therefore, God in His justice killed them. Verse 20, And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? You see, events like this that we read about bring us that proper perspective of the holiness of God. He has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Some liberal scholars would say, oh, he was childish back then and he matured over time to become the loving God he is today. No, he's the same loving God then and now. He's also the same holy, righteous, just God then as he is now. He is a holy God, and we are reminded of this as we study the Old Testament. What does that do for you and for me? It makes us appreciate His grace all that much more. Man, I should be one of those 50,000, toasted by God. But instead, Jesus took that punishment for me. I should be the guy in Joshua that gets hung up on the tree. But instead, Jesus 
died on the tree for me. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. And I receive his grace and I appreciate it all that much more when I understand how holy he is and what I deserve. Middle of verse 20, and to whom shall it go up from us? Hey, let's get it out of here. Verse 21, so they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath-Jerim, saying, the Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up with you. We're going to find here in the future that the people who take it are blessed, because they don't look inside, but their land is blessed because it's the presence of God among them, among them. Now, we learn from this valuable lesson of grace, as we've talked about, and not going into trying to be saved by the law, trying to be saved by works, but staying in the grace of God. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 18. Speaking of believers here in Hebrews 12, 18, it says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest. He's speaking of Mount Sinai and the people who were at that, you know, that mountain where the Ten Commandments was being delivered. You've not come to this mountain that burns with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest, verse 19, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. And you see, what that fear and trembling does is it distances us from God because he's so holy, he's so righteous, he's so perfect, and his demands, his standards are so high that I can't come near him. And so people who don't have Jesus Christ, who are trying to work their way to heaven, either in their arrogance, they think they can come close to God of their own efforts and their own accord, or I don't even want to be near God because he's terrifying. And this is why Jesus died, to draw us near, to draw us close. And that's what we read in verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the mountain where Jerusalem is built on. And it's the mountain where Jesus died. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, the firstborn, the preeminent ones, the co-heirs with Christ, that's you and me. He's not ashamed to call us brethren or family who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. Verse 24, key verse, to Jesus, we've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, not the old covenant, not the old Mosaic law, but the new covenant based on better promises, based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, on the cross for you and for me. It says we've come to the blood 
of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Abel. Oh, now we understand. The blood of Abel speaks for uh, vengeance. The blood of Abel speaks for, for justice in that way. We come to Jesus whose blood speaks better things. Grace. Mercy. Hallelujah. And we receive it by faith. And it's accounted to us as righteousness. And so we don't look into the Ark of the Covenant, but we look at the mercy seat, the blood of Jesus Christ that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're saved by your grace, by your mercy, Lord. We give you praise and thanks, Jesus. Lord, let these things burn into our minds and to our hearts as we continue to digest them through the day and the week. In Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.